Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. Ninety percent of people walking the planet will suffer from it at some point in their life. It can occur suddenly, or it can come on gradually. It can be as fleeting as a few hours, or a lifelong problem for some. It's a leading contributor of job-related disability and missed work days, and according to the NIH, it is ranked in the top three most burdensome health conditions with respect to morbidity and poor health. Acute and chronic back pain is more than just a nuisance. It's a major health problem for men and women of all ages. We have a great conversation lined up for you today, so grab some ibuprofen and dust off your yoga mat. It's time to get educated about back pain. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin, and my goal is to help you and your family live a smarter, healthier life. Today's conversation is all about that nagging, aching back pain. Our guest today in the studio is Dr. Jad Khalil. Dr. Khalil is an orthopedic spine surgeon at Beaumont. He completed his orthopedic surgery residency at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit and completed his spine surgery specialty training at the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Khalil is the Spine Surgery Fellowship Program Director. He also has a special interest in surgical and non-surgical management of back pain. In the conversation today, we'll hit on several topics. We'll talk about the origins of back pain. We'll differentiate the important differences between acute and chronic back pain, including how to manage these different scenarios. Next, we'll get into a discussion about surgical and non-surgical management options, and then we'll discuss some of the alternative approaches to managing back pain, including so-called alternative medicine strategies. So with that, I welcome Dr. Jad Khalil to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Nick. So Jad, I want you to think for just a minute about the pie chart of your current spine practice, which I'm guessing is almost entirely comprised of people with back and neck pain. What accounts for most of the back and the neck pain that you take care of? What is the origin of the back pain that you see? I think, I think one, one important point of differentiation that you pointed to was acute and chronic. And I like to also split back and neck pain into acute and chronic. And I would say for the acute type of pure, what we call axial back pain, meaning pain without sciatica, without nerve pain, I would probably lump this into the injury kind of uh, category, pulled okay. muscles, pulled ligaments, what we call sprains. Um, on the chronic side, you're talking more wear and tear, what we also call arthritis or degenerative spinal conditions or degenerative joint conditions, which is, which is essentially wear and tear of the cartilage between the, any, any two joints in the body in that, um, in that case, in the, in the low back uh, for that matter. So most people that are coming to see you with acute back pain fall in the injury category. Most of them do. Okay. Is there, um, are there certain conditions that may predispose a person to suffering back pain that you also see, like, for example, people who are more obese, uh, or is there perhaps a genetic component to some of the back pain that you see? Or all of the above, for that matter. So, um, yes, there is a genetic predisposition to degenerative conditions in general. There appears to be a genetic or a familial predisposition to disc herniations and conditions that affect um, either arthritis of the joint or the disc. And there are other environmental factors. You mentioned uh, obesity, lack of exercise, people with uh, weak core strength, 
Um, but other factors also, such as smoking, which um, everybody thinks about the lung-related sequelae of smoking, but actually uh, smoking and nicotine consumption is, um, is, is uh, one of the biggest risk factors for uh, degenerative, degenerative uh, disease of the discs. Hmm. Very interesting. And um, it just kind of makes all your body age faster. Right. <laughs> I want to go back to um, acute and chronic pain because I think that that's, there's an important conversation that we need to have there. And that, for starters, can you define the difference between acute and chronic pain? So a simple definition is six weeks. Okay. So anybody with pain for under six weeks duration, we call that acute. And you want to think about it as, uh, you know, somebody who went in uh, shoveled snow mm -hmm. for two hours and hasn't exercised uh, in nine months and now snow season and they went and shoveled snow, they start having back pain. And that's what... That's what I would call acute back pain, and that's typically pain related to muscles, ligaments, uh, pulled muscle, pulled ligament, or just tired muscles and ligaments in maybe somebody who is not um, very fit and had a sudden change in their level of activity. And, and that's, that, that would show these people usually would come in with, um, with the axial, axial back pain. Mm -hmm. um, another type is uh, back pain along with sciatica, because one important thing to differentiate here is is back pain versus back pain with nerve pain and what people call sciatica which uh, which in medical terms we call we refer to as radiculopathy that's typically the pain that uh, comes about when nerves are under pressure and um, you would typically see somebody with pain in not not only in the back but also traveling down the leg or to the thigh calf or foot mm -hmm. with or without some weakness and so um, one of the first things I, somebody calls, say, they want to be seen for an appointment. One of the first questions they'll be asked, do you have only back pain or back pain with radiating pain down your legs? Radiating pain down the legs typically uh, means uh, sciatica or radiculopathy. And that can, um, can speak for more of a, of a uh, nerve compression. Now, in the acute back pain with sciatica, we're thinking about herniated discs, which is, you know, the disc is the soft, cushy structure between the bones, and sometimes that herniates or displaces or ruptures, people call it, and starts putting pressure on the nerve. So that's the acute back pain with sciatica. Does that signal to you, uh, you're asking that question, that's an important question, obviously, but does mm -hmm. that signal to you a problem that is more urgent, that needs to be dealt with more quickly, more responsibly? Absolutely. Okay. So, so the, what I would call the kind of the garden variety back pain. It's something that everybody, like you said, 90%, 80 yep. to 90% of North Americans will have an episode of back pain, one, at least one episode of back pain due to their lifetime. However, back pain with sciatica is something that prompts further attention, a quicker, faster attention than just, you know, take a couple of ibuprofens, let's see you back in a week. One of the things that personally worries me, and I've, I have suffered back pain a time or two in my life, and I find it to be uh, probably one of the most horrible things a person can suffer from because it seems like everything you do relies on your back. I mean, every movement that you make, you feel it, and it's miserable. And so one of the things that I worry about is I don't want to become one of those people that has chronic, constant back pain. So how does acute back pain sort of transform itself into chronic back pain? 
That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had one answer for you. But so we talked a little bit about acute back pain. Let me talk a little bit about chronic back pain, and we tried, we'll try to tie the, uh, the two together. Okay. So chronic back pain, as opposed to acute back pain, is somebody who has had back pain for over six weeks. But that's usually often not a seven-week history of back pain. It's usually three months, six months, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we're starting to look into other categories of what causes chronic back pain, such as degenerative conditions, again, wear and tear of the cartilage, plus or minus constriction around the nerve. So we call stenosis. Stenosis just means pinching of nerves. And mm-hmm. and spinal stenosis is one of the most, if not the most common diagnosis that a spine surgeon or a spine practitioner will see in their clinic. Spinal stenosis means that there's compression of the nerves that go down the legs. And, and spinal stenosis often, in addition to causing leg symptoms and leg tiredness, also causes chronic back pain. Degenerative disease of the disc and or of the joints in the back causes chronic back pain. So that's that's, that's the patient coming with chronic back pain. Now, does every acute back pain turn into a chronic back pain? I don't think so. This type of acute back pain that is usually related to muscle strain or ligament strain is usually self-limited. Mm-hmm. So these are not the people that we're going to see back in two years with chronic back pain. However, some types of acute back pain coming from herniated disc or more significant injuries such as we mentioned the disc but we also mentioned some fractures due to high energy trauma these these ones can turn into a, a uh, chronic back pain situation now of course how do you do this how do you how can you turn into how can you stop a herniated disc from turning into a chronic back pain it's very difficult in at uh, this time of uh, of our understanding of spine surgery to do this mm-hmm. however i would say again going back to acute back pain with sciatica with nerve compression shooting leg pain nerve pain any disturbance with bowel or bladder function these are the ones that need immediate medical attention Good time to segue, I think, into, you know, helping us sort of triage where a person should go when they experience this type of back pain. And I'm kind of segueing into management. So the consumer nowadays has so many options at their mm-hmm. fingertips for where they could go if they have a health problem. They have, they have their primary care doctor. They have the specialist such as yourself. They have an urgent care. They have an emergency room. They've got the minute clinic. You know, they've got all these different outlets. So help me kind of triage where a person should go based on the type of back pain that they might present with? That's really an excellent question, and um, in, especially nowadays, that every every single one of these options has some pros and cons. ER is open 24-7, mm-hmm. but, you know, wait times and, uh, and other downsides that may not make it the best avenue for any types of pain. Right. Similarly, you know, uh, I would say primary care physician should be probably the first line of defense there. Okay. Unless somebody's having a condition that involves severe nerve pain or weakness or can't move your leg. So these are red flag symptoms. Yeah, any yeah. of red flag symptoms, that, that's, when, that's when the higher acuity centers should be, uh, should be the first line. But otherwise, I would say the primary care physician. Uh, so if I had to build up my own healthcare network, I would say everything needs to go through the primary care physician. Okay. These guys are extremely smart. 
they know about these conditions, they know what's urgent, they know what's not, and they should be contacted first. Another specialty that is extremely helpful in musculoskeletal system, especially in spine surgery, is, is the a, is the PM&R specialty or the physiatry, mm-hmm. physical medicine rehabilitation specialist. And these are also a second layer of, of specialists that can look at somebody, examine, do all the diagnostics, and then decide if somebody needs surgical attention or they need non-surgical management. And then finally, you know, the spine uh, surgeons, oftentimes, you know, I for the most part, I see people who have been through their primary care physician or their physiatrist, etc., and that's most of my patients. But I occasionally also see patients with back pain and uh, chronic or acute, and you know, we're another avenue for people to reach out to as well. So let me take a couple of fictional patients right now, and you know, you kind of help me determine what needs to be done. So I've got patient number one. This is my weekend warrior you know, guy who just decided to go out and, and, uh, you know, do a bunch of work on the weekend gardening or shoveling snow or, you know, lifting too many heavy weights in the gym or whatever it might Mm be, you know, now he's got a sore back. It's not getting better. He's popping ibuprofen. He doesn't feel any better. He decides, you know what, I'm going to go to my primary care doctor. So walk me through what that person is in store for. Like what are, what are their management options at that point? What, what should they, what questions should they be asking their doctor? I mean, is there anything you can help us with? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I have to say that every patient is different and every situation is different. So mm-hmm. fictional situation shouldn't apply to <laughs> listeners, <laughs> but I, I'm sorry, I have to say this, but what I would say the first the first thing to do is is to contact your primary care physician. You know, primary care physicians are very well equipped to determine is this a quote unquote dangerous problem or not. Mm-hmm. Once we've ruled out the red flags, which maybe this is this is a good time to say some of the red flags include weakness, um, bowel or bladder disturbance. So basically, cannot urinate or can't go to the bathroom. That's something that prompts an alert. Uh, to basically be seen in an emergency setting. Sure. And so, so what the primary care physician will exclude those uh, possibilities first. And then if none of those red flags are pre- present, typically for somebody with, you know, kind of an acute kind of wear and tear injury, we're not talking high-speed uh, automobile accident. We're talking about, you know, like the snow shoveler. Um, they will typically just treat them with non-steroidal anti-inflammatories if ac- applicable, some uh, rest, uh, ice, uh, just gentle modalities, uh, taking it easy from workouts, etc. And um, in the vast majority of cases, after a week or so or 10 days, this, this should subside. Okay. And it's only the people that don't get better than that we go to the next layer. So now let me take patient number two, fictional patient number two. So this is the, the guy that you alluded to earlier. He's been suffering back pain on and off for six years. You're probably not dealing with something that's musculogenic per se. This is probably alluding to a more, um, you know, arthritis type or stenosis type uh, or compression type of an injury. And that patient presents to their primary care physician. What are the options for that person at that point? So we're talking about chronic back pain now with or without uh, nerve symptoms. And typically in the chronic situation, nerve symptoms are what's called neurogenic claudication. And this is a, a, since spinal stenosis is the most common diagnosis which we treat, this is worth mentioning. What are neurogenic claudications? It's people who can't walk too long without their legs being tired, back being tired, and they have to stop every so often and take a break 
lean forward. We call it the supermarket sign because they're usually fighting their wife for the cart and they want to lean on it. <laughs> and um, I've never heard that. That's good. I like yeah. that. Well, every single one. <laughs> so this, so that's in the chronic situation. I'm trying to differentiate. Is this somebody with, with or without spinal stenosis? I'm just trying to take a, a guess. If it's somebody who can walk six miles a day and just aches and pains in the back, I'll start with an X-ray. Okay. Okay. If it's somebody with neurogenic claudications, legs get tired, uh, nerve symptoms in the legs, uh, I would start with an X-ray and also get an MRI scan of the back, which is what we or, or I should I should say advanced imaging. Advanced imaging for all practical purposes in the back is an MRI scan nowadays. Okay. And um, and so depending on the results of that, then we would go to treatment. So first diagnostics and and second treatment, and always with chronic back pain situations that don't warrant immediate surgical attention, like red flags and things like that, uh, we recommend uh, non-surgical treatment, and we recommend exhausting non-surgical treatment. I, I think it's helpful just what you just said to kind of frame that up, because I think that the mind of the person who just, maybe they've been having chronic pain, maybe this is more of an acute problem, they want to go to the doctor, but I think there's a perception out there, well, gee whiz, I'm going to go to the doctor, they're going to order a bunch of tests, they're going to make me do an x-ray, they're going to make me do an MRI, they're going to make me follow up. And, you know, what am I getting myself into here? Mm-hmm. So, you know, generally speaking for, if it's something that sounds, I just want to want to clarify what you just said. So if it's, if for an acute back pain, you're probably going to get an x-ray. Mm-hmm. If it's more something that you're suspecting that some of the other tissues, not just the bones, but some of the other tissues, the nerves, the muscles, et cetera, are involved, you want to get something that's a little bit more detailed like an MRI. That's going to be Absolutely. your option. Yep. Yep. And then formulate your treatment plan based on that. I agree. Yep. So now let's get into surgery and non-surgery. So you are a spine surgeon, but I think you're a good spine surgeon. And I think it's fair to say that most good spine surgeons will exhaust all of the non-surgical treatment options before considering surgical options. So what are, what, what is your toolkit of non-surgical options before we get to surgery? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what you said is, uh, is correct. So, uh, surgery as we know, and as we tell patients every day should be a last resort. Mm-hmm. And we're talking last resort for chronic conditions, obviously. Say, take, for example, spinal stenosis, which is the most common uh, uh, problem we treat. Spinal stenosis, again, is, is people that uh, cannot walk as long as they used to. Uh, their legs get tired, they get weak, their back gets tired, and we do an MRI scan, and they have uh, constriction of the spinal canal um, that we call spinal stenosis. Mm-hmm. We always, always resort to non-surgical management first, just because there's a lot of people that will not need surgery eventually. Right. And so what does that look like? It looks, it's usually about a six to eight week course of physical therapy okay. with or without pharmacologic treatment with medication, basically. And uh, the common medications prescribed are anti-inflammatories. So that would be like your Aleves and your ibuprofens. And- yeah, as, as a matter of fact, that, uh, that's what I prescribe to my patients. I just prescribe them over-the-counter yeah. Um, anti-inflammatories, I think they're just as good as uh, prescription. Mm-hmm. Um, one other, so some people cannot take those or um, they haven't been, uh, or just the oral uh, or the not anti-inflammatory pills have not been efficacious enough, then uh, we would prescribe maybe a, um, an injection, some uh, injection form. 
Um, and that would be either a epidural steroid injection or a cortisone injection or similar types of uh, injections that can also help lower to the pain. And sometimes all, all people need is, is just a little catalyst to help, with the, with, to help them jumpstart this uh, treatment. And uh, just, a lo- just a little bit of help to, um, to be able to do their physical therapy. And sometimes either the oral anti-inflammatories or the injection form is enough to, to do that. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm sure that you're going to have patients that are going to ask for something stronger. I think this is probably a good time to have that conversation because I think it's worth pointing out that a lot of stronger pain medications, I'm talking about like opiates, um, you know, what's the role there for, for someone who has acute and or chronic back pain? Um, is there a role? Is there no role? You know, it's it's a good question. I think this is um, I think this is one of those questions that the answer is going to be a matter of judgment mm-hmm. more than a blank statement. In uh, in my personal opinion, in in the chronic setting of back pain, I, I prefer people not to be on uh, chronic opioids because most of the time I'm seeing people that eventually or have a problem that could be corrected yeah. or a problem that could be treated with better alternatives. Right, fix the root cause rather than just you know treat the pain. Exactly. Yeah. And um, in, in the acute setting, um, I also believe that there are some, um, some interventions or medications that can be more efficacious than, than opioids. And uh, not to say that opioids have no role uh, in the acute or chronic pain, but typically the kind of patients that see me in my personal practice, I'm typically able to find alternatives that are more efficacious yeah. and treat the problem, such as, for example, anti-inflammatories treat inflammation. Opioids mask the pain. Right. right. They don't really have any anti-inflammatory properties. Absolutely not. Right, right. Um, You did mention injections as well. So the theory there is that you're you're using an anti-inflammatory, a more powerful anti-inflammatory like a steroid medication, and you're essentially putting it directly into Mm -hmm. where the inflammation is. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing when you're crafting a treatment plan for a patient, you're using any and or all of these different modalities sort of in tandem. Is that right? Absolutely. Every, yeah. every treatment plan should be tailored to the patient. Yep. There's, no, there's no one recipe to treat back pain as there is no one recipe to treat any, any kind of problems. Of course. And so anything should be tailored to the patient, should be the least invasive treatment we can give or provide the patient to arrive to a, a satisfactory outcome. So what signals to you that, you know, we've, we've tried it all and now it's time to consider surgery? So that's a common question that people ask. And they sometimes they come in and say, well, just fix it. <laughs> <laughs> and usually, so... I get it. <laughs> I get you know it. what I mean? So, so we have to... I, it, it is our role, even as surgeons, to educate patients. And I like to keep it simple. So for me, indications for surgery are somebody who cannot live with the problem as it is. Mm-hmm. Two, I have a search solution that can make them better and can make can put them back on their feet and uh, can give them the life that they want. Mm-hmm. And three, they've tried everything else before. Okay. Because everything as everything has a, has pros and cons and we know that surgery is, isn't perfect. It doesn't make you perfect every single time. It has risk. Yep. Similarly, everything else has pros and cons, you know, for example, physical therapy is safe but it's not as helpful for a nerve pain as, as surgery, decompressing the nerve. Right. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for, can they live with a problem or not? If they can't live with a problem, we should uh, probably think about surgical options. Is there a surgical procedure that has a favorable risk-benefit ratio? And three, have they exhausted all non-surgical options? 
talk a little bit about what spine surgery entails. I mean, I know we've come a long way. Generally speaking, we're not doing mm-hmm. barbaric, you know, wide open spine operations anymore. We've, <laughs> we've, we've advanced into doing more minimally invasive type stuff. So talk a little bit about what you're doing. So it really depends on the problem of the patient. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say for certain conditions, uh, there's not really a good alternative to doing a big uh, open surgery, such as big scoliosis, for example. Mm-hmm. We still have to do a classic open approach, not a minimally invasive surgery, although some people will have some minimally invasive options for scoliosis surgery. But for the most part, I would say some conditions uh, are amenable to lesser invasive surgeries. And I think most conditions are amenable to a lesser invasive approach. And I wouldn't say that this is less invasive or minimally invasive is good and classic surgery is evil. As a matter of fact, the literature shows that both are equally efficacious. However, in conditions that are amenable to a lesser invasive surgery, we're talking about smaller incisions, we're talking about working through tubes and scopes and uh, microscope. In those conditions where a lesser invasive operation is an option in the hands of an experienced practitioner, it could lead to lesser, a shorter recovery time, lesser blood loss, lesser complications, any faster rehabilitation and back to uh, work slash life. Sure. That makes good sense. Are there any other things that are sort of cutting edge in the spine surgery world right now? There's a lot of things that... Uh, of course there is. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that, you know, we, and we're always looking, yeah. right? We're always trying to see what's the, what's the best way to treat a problem, what's the least invasive way to, to treat a problem, and uh, some things pan out and some things uh, turn out no better than doing just physical therapy. For example, we just concluded at Beaumont, we were one of the participating centers in a big national study about uh, nerve ablation and uh, more specifically ablating a, uh, a nerve called the basivertebral nerve inside the vertebral body. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you, 10 years ago, I, I had no idea about that and we actually were were a participating center and we enrolled patients in a study that panned out to be uh, to have uh, excellent outcomes um, probably better than surgical outcomes for for back pain in the historic medical literature very cool what's my um, anticipated and again I know patients are all different but but generally speaking what's my expected uh, recovery look like after spine surgery yeah, well, you know, it depends on the kind of surgery, and um, and it depends on the surgery and the patient. I get that, asked that question every day, and, and my <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. And I guess I I respond by another question, which is probably not that helpful. But my question is, what's recovery to you? Is it being able to drive a car? Is it being able to go to the gym? Is it being able to go skydiving? And and I would say in this day and age, every single one of my patients that go through surgery has to get up and move and walk the day off. As a matter of fact, at Beaumont, we have a standard that patients have to ambulate within four hours of surgery. They have to. Are we 100%? Can we do it 100% of the time? Sometimes there's exceptions. Sometimes we can't. You know, they can't. Sometimes they're having too much pain. But we try as much as possible to get people up and moving right away. Yep. And so we're starting recovery on day zero. And so, but for the most part, you're looking... You know, after a, a, a back surgery or you're talking a non-fusion versus fusion, for a non-fusion, I usually say about six weeks. For fusion surgery, you're looking at about three to four months. Okay. So I want to get into now a couple of, of last things that I want to check off uh, on the conversation here. And, and, and one sort of ties into prevention of back problems. 
So let's talk a little bit about um, prevention and management to a, to a lesser degree, but let's talk a little bit about the role of different things that many of your patients are probably doing to try to help manage their back pain. Things like exercise, yoga, Pilates. What do you view as the role of something like that? You know, I think prevention is one thing. And our whole life, we try to be healthy and prevent disease or minimize the, the occurrence of disease. There's nothing you can do about genetics. Right. But there's something you can do about your weight, about your level of activity, smoking, daily smoking, about the food you ingest. So these are the things that lead to common health problems, and they apply to back pain. Of course, keeping your weight low, keeping your level of fitness high and your core strong. So this is the kind of prevention I'm, I'm looking for. Okay. Now I want to get into what I'm going to call sort of alternative treatment options for back pain. And they're out there. And I think, you know, your patients use them. My patients use them. My friends use them. I'm talking about things like massage, acupuncture, going to the chiropractor. I mean, you can kind of talk about each of those things sort mm-hmm. of individually. What, what are your thoughts in that space? So they're a little different, but I think the message is similar. So when we're talking about acupuncture, chiropractic care, so typically for for management of pain. So we're talking about these options as a management for pain. My advice to my patients, because you're putting me on the spot and and so do they on a daily basis. Right. And they'll say, well, can I go to the acupuncture? Can Mm -hmm. I go to the acupuncturist? And typically I'll say, well, if you go and it's making you feel better, then this is a good indicator that it's working. Okay. Similarly, if you go to the chiropractor and it's making you feel better, that, that's fine. Now, there's a lot of difference, and you pointed to, we can talk about them sep- separately, and a lot of people ask about chiropractic care. I think chiropractic care, if done well and right, is good, if it's alleviating people's problems. Right. There are some situations where I would not feel comfortable recommending chiropractic manipulation to some of my patients in certain conditions, but then I'll make it very clear to them. But for somebody who has a stable spine, especially if we're working on the lumbar spine, low back, stable back without severe pinching of the nerve, and gentle chiropractic treatments are generally quite helpful. Yeah, I agree. I echo that. And and obviously, you're coming from a position of more expertise than me uh, when it comes Mm -hmm. to the spine. But but I, I've had this conversation. I mean, I think every doctor has friends who ask these questions. I mean, this is like sort of the classic cocktail party question. Like, boy, mm-hmm. my back hurts. I really am thinking about going to a chiropractor. What do you think about that? And I guess the answer that I give is very similar to the one you gave. It's like, you know, give it a try if it if it helps. I mean, if you don't have any contraindications to it, and I think you started to allude to that. But, you know, I guess the other thing you got to recognize is that there are good chiropractors. There are not so good chiropractors. There are good massage therapists. There are not so good. Good spine surgeons and bad spine surgeons. Exactly. So I think, you know, you need to do your homework and do your research. Yeah. I think that that's about all the information we have time for today. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Jad Khalil for coming into the studio on the podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Um, Jad, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Is there a website or other resources that you might have that you want to point us to? Usually, you know, the Beaumont website has a lot of useful information about conditions. A lot of people do their Google searches nowadays, and I would highly recommend the Society websites. Um, okay. And these are um, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, uh, Scoliosis Research Society, and that's just a couple of many uh, websites and avenues that people can uh, refer to to look up you know, credible and vetted information, vetted by typically spine specialists. Perfect. We also have a website set up uh, through Beaumont. It's beaumont.org slash backpain. 
I also want to remind you to send any questions or suggestions to podcast at beaumont.org. Dr. Shah Jahan and I are standing by to answer your burning questions. I also want to point you to a couple of other podcasts that we've had. If you found this topic interesting, I urge you to check out the Sports Medicine Podcast and also the conversation about the opioid epidemic because both of those topics really tie to the issue of back pain as well. And with that, we leave you today with this healthy thought. If you're fortunate to live long enough, chances are you will experience back pain at some point in your life. Knowing how to prevent back problems and manage acute pain in the right way can keep short-term back pain from becoming a long-term problem. If you are a chronic back pain sufferer, be sure to talk to your doctor about the best, safest, and most cost-effective ways to manage your pain and get you back to doing the things you love. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.